0: Welcome back to the Perth Business Podcast. We're a podcast for Perth's business community and we give voices to entrepreneurs, creatives and thought leaders via a platform that allows you to access their stories on the go. I'm Taryn, the host of the podcast, a digital marketing gal with five years of industry experience working and networking with the best in Perth over a Bev when the best stories tend to emerge. The podcast features origin stories of our local thought leaders, their tales of tough times and tribulations, as well as their trade secrets, tips, and learned strategies that led to their success. Our dream is that you'll learn from their mistakes and challenges and implement their solutions for yourself. So grab a cup of coffee or settle in for the drive to work or to the gym and enjoy. Make sure you give us your thoughts online at Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn and hit that little subscribe button to make sure you get our episodes every week. Without further ado, here's our next guest. Welcome to the Perth Business Podcast, David. Thank you for coming to chat with me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, no worries. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So you requested gin, which I was very happy about. I always put gin on the menu and people are like, "Oh, yeah, wine's good." Oh, really? But I'm a I'm a gin gal, yeah. How are you? So oh, you're a connoisseur. I oh, I don't want to I don't want to use that official <laughs> word, but if I must. Um, I got this one, Moontide... From the Moontide Distillery up in Broome, it's Black Pearl Anise and Seed Spirit. So, do you like licorice and that sort of thing? I do. Yeah. Do you want to give it, s- it a go? Give yeah. it a sniff. Give it a sniff. Because the other one I've got is Whitley Neal's um, Rhubarb and Ginger.
1: I'm just going to get the pop on the mic. Hang on.
0: Oh, there you go. Beautiful. Oh yes. It's really good. Mm. Yes. The, Let um, me smell the other one. There you go. It's a little bit sweeter, I find. I can have that one without. Oh.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go for the aniseed one, Yeah. Uh, moontide. It's
0: a bit special, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Should I? Eat?
0: Yeah, I don't mind. You serve yourself if you like to. Okay. Double double shot that <laughs> yeah. one.
1: There's no, this is free pour, yeah. Yeah,
0: we're free pouring out here. Okay, cool. Good luck. Give it a go. Beautiful. That looks good. I didn't bring any ice cubes because I didn't okay. want them to melt on the way. Yeah. But I'm also going to go for the aniseed. Great. Right. Moontide. It's nice to meet people who are in the same spirit mind as you. Yeah.
1: I mean, my wife is massively, not massively into it, but she loves her gin. Yeah. I sort of think I've been carried along on her coattails a bit. Yeah. With that. I love that. But I've recently discovered the, um, do you know the Giniversity barrel aged gin?
0: Yes, I do. Yep. Yeah.
1: That's my current fave. I didn't
0: like that one when I tasted it last. Really? I know. <gasps> horror! I might have had something sweet beforehand and it just came across really, really... Um, Like bitter almost. Yeah. Mm. So, Uh, yeah.
1: And there's another one that I really like uh, from the UK called Silent Pool. Do you know that one? Mm -hmm. Which has got this beautiful aqua bottle with um, bronze filigree. It's all right. I bought it style over substance really, but it actually is delicious too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, lovely. I feel like that reminds me of the Little Things Gin um, branding. They've got a bit of the goldy, bluey. Yeah. We could go on for days about gin. We could. Um, but I think another topic we'll probably resonate with each other on is um, the business of marketing, the business of experiential activations, everything to do with uh, what your bread and butter is. But before we dive into that, can we take a step back? Um, and I, I want to know where your origin So obviously you're not from Perth. Can you tell no. us Yeah, where you grew up?
1: I grew up in, well... In the suburbs of London, South mm-hmm. London, in a place called Wollington. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived there for the first um, 35 years of my life. Wow, yeah. Um, before moving to Perth. Um, which I think now in the 11 years that I've been here has been... Uh, I've finally sort of got over the culture shock. Yeah, yeah, um, right. But yeah, it's, um, it's a very interesting place. I was there in March. Um, it was fascinating for a number of reasons um just because it's such a different type of city to Mm. Perth but also because it sort of felt like it was a bit of a glimpse into our future post-covid because it felt like covid had never happened everybody was in pubs shoulder to shoulder yeah you know people were just over it
0: shock horror (laughs) yeah yeah. exactly
1: and it sort of feels like that we're on that journey too
0: yeah 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 I found that quite strange because um when I went over East and must maybe around the same time you went to London. Cause I remember we were um, chatting and um, I remember getting on the train without a mask. And my friend was like, it's, to- it's fine. Like yeah. if anything, they'll stop you and give you a mask, but yeah. no no one really, you just stay away from people.
1: Yeah.
0: And I was like panicking cause in Perth it's the complete opposite. Like yeah. they will not let you on the bus without a mask. And Like uh, even one, I've had one guy give me his mask because he had two. And I was like, that's kind of worse, isn't it? Because like, I'm not going to share masks with a stranger. But in Perth, they were like, it's either that or you miss your mask and you don't get to work. And like, it's not the end of the world. But yeah, they took it very, very seriously.
1: Yeah, the first train I got on when I was there, which was the first night I was there with my sister and a friend to go to um, a friend's event. It was a packed, absolutely packed train and no one wearing masks. And it was just a massive culture shock. <laughs> and I was like, I'm definitely getting COVID. And they were just yeah. like, you're not. Yeah. I, I didn't. I haven't oh, got wow. it touch wood. I haven't yeah. had it yet. But. Oh, really? No. Yeah, we'll <gasps> see what happens. Yeah,
0: see, I got it as soon as I got back from Melbourne. But I got it from an event in Perth. And I was like, classic, <laughs>
1: Yeah. Exactly. classic. Yeah.
0: Um, But yeah, so there's been a lot of events, I suppose, changing. We won't go into like the landscape of Perth right now with a new government and all that. Yeah. Very exciting. But in terms of your – so you relocated to Perth. Um, you obviously like it here because you're still here. Yep. <laughs> or were you just, well, just stuck?
1: <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> a little
0: bit of both, yeah. Um, and did you study here? Did you do any – did you open your own business straight away? Can you yes. tell me a bit about so, that? so
1: um, it's – I mean, I could do the whole long story. It's quite <laughs> a long story, but we – yeah, we – we started – I'll give you the whole spiel. Yeah. So we started uh, doing what we're doing, Getting Hectic, in 1994. Yep. So uh, that was when we were at university and we were we, – we had um, an obsession with music and mm-hmm. we ran what we called there, which were club nights. Okay. Um, I don't know what you call them here, but events, nightclub nights and yeah, things yep. like that. And we played uh, – uh, funk, soul, hip-hop, um, and cool. house. Not necessarily in that order. That was our tagline. <laughs> and um, we. that's where the name Getting Hectic came from. Okay. So Getting Hectic, I don't know if you know, but if you listen to a load of tracks from that era... Um, a load of hip-hop tracks. There's a lot of references to Getting Hectic or mm. Not Getting Hectic. Yeah, right. And so there was this one track by Brand New Heavies, who you've probably never heard of. No. Look them up. <laughs> uh, I um, and a guy called Guru, who was from a um, hip-hop band or a hip-hop duo called Gangstar, and it was called Getting Hectic, and we all loved it. And that was how we, we picked the name of our night, and that's how, that's how um, the name stuck, and that's how we became... What we became, and throughout university, um, and then after university, we continued to run these club nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all got proper jobs. Mm-hmm. I became proper a proper like yeah, that. <laughs> as a, I became a lawyer, went to law school, and became a lawyer. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Um, okay. Mm. So I did that for a few years. My yeah. two business partners: one was working for Ministry of Sound, and the other one was in advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kept running these club nights in London. They became. Um, they became really popular. And um, as you do when you're in your 20s and you feel sort of um, free and um, carefree, mm-hmm. we decided that we were going to set up our own venue yeah. and uh, give up our jobs. So we gave up our jobs. Lovely. To do all that. and Scary. Very scary. Uh, our parents thought we were crazy, <laughs> um, our friends thought we were crazy, we probably were crazy, yeah. um, and um, we spent a lot of time um, coming up with this idea of setting up our own venue, which was all going to be based on um, essentially a magazine, so mm-hmm. this is obviously pre-digital time, this is late 90s, and so everybody used to get their sort of pop culture information and um, from Magazines, so yeah. I don't know if you know magazines like the Face yeah, and Time I'm Out. Yeah, proud of
0: them. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So we were covered in all that type of thing. We thought, what would be how cool it would be to do our own sort of three-dimensional magazine.
0: Yeah.
1: And do a venue, so we would have like you know two floors. We'd have a uh, bar restaurant upstairs, and then maybe downstairs have a sort of gallery space, exhibition space, club room wow. to do. And so we had this sort of grand plans, and the whole idea was that we were going to do as a magazine and it was going to change every month the um, the theme of the, okay. of the place was going to change every month based on what was popular in pop culture at that time
0: wow big undertaking
1: yeah we probably bit off a little more than we could chew <laughs> um, and we then Went around to friends, we went around to various different investors to try and raise money and we found this most amazing, beautiful venue in Brixton. I don't know if you know Brixton Mm, in South London. So it's sort of central South London in, at the time, certainly in need of regeneration. So it was a really cool place to go. And then we, we managed just by hook or by crook to raise all this money to set up this venue. Wow. And... After a year's work on it, sort of suddenly it just started to disintegrate. The whole idea, death by a thousand cuts, the landlord started wanting more, oh, our no. business partner started wanting more, uh, everything started just to fall away and we'd given up our jobs and we were like, I mean, I don't know if you're allowed to swear on this, Yeah, go on. <laughs> but we were like, fuck, this is terrible, Yeah. and our... Yeah, a whole you know, we <laughs> what the fuck have we done? Yeah. uh-oh. Um, <laughs> and so um all that throughout that period we had been doing these popular club club nights and we'd been approached by we had this big ad agency crowd and we'd been approached by ad agency people to do events for them mm-hmm. and for their clients and we were just like we were a bit too cool for school and No no, come back to us when we've got our own venue. Yeah. And we you know, you can come and do nights there. And so we went back to them. Sort of cap in hand with the tail between our legs, saying, "Oh, you know that Christmas party that he wants <laughs> us to do? Uh, yeah, we'd we'd love to do that." Yeah. And f- sort of over the next year, we got um, we got hired by a few big ad agencies like DDB, um and Do you know those guys? I've so heard of DDB, but not y and Yeah, big international agencies with big offices in London to do yeah. things for them, you know, whether it was their own events or, or things for their clients. And we began to get a reputation Great. for doing essentially what were events and parties and uh-huh. stuff like that, but then working for their clients. So we started working for Coke um, and Virgin. And awesome. Then, and then finally, in or sort of finally, in this part of the story, in 2006, mm-hmm. um, it was the Football World Cup, Yeah. Circle World Cup. Which is a big passion of mine, and, yep, and naturally, uh, yeah, naturally, I would not expect anything yeah. else. Yeah, <laughs> and we um, we had this idea about so th- obviously with the World Cup, the vast majority of people don't get to go, mm. you know, and so they don't get to experience it. So we had this idea you know, wouldn't it be great if we could bring the experience to London? Right. So we decided that we would build our own stadium in a warehouse in the middle of London. Whoa. Um, Which, I mean, stadium sounds a bit grand, but it was yeah. still, it was a mini stadium, but about 5,000 people. Yeah, wow. Um, and so we came up with this idea and we pitched it to a whole bunch of sponsors. And finally, we got sort of Xbox, um, Adidas mm-hmm. and um, Bexbeer on board.
0: Mm-hmm. Great.
1: And that sort of just put us on the map as an experiential agency.
0: Awesome. And then
1: it went from sort of, you know, we started to grow from there. Yeah. Um, Then fast forward to 2010 or 2011 where I had met my my wife. Mm -hmm. We'd had a baby. Oh, great. Uh, After saying that she never wanted to come back to Perth, she decided that now would be a good time to go back to Perth. Yeah, um, yep. so So we initially were only coming for six months, yep. and now 11 years later... Awesome. ...still here. So that is the long answer to the short question of... I like that. ...how we got to Perth. Yeah, I Even like if that. that was your question.
0: Yeah, because I think the backstory of, like, that's... You've told us how you got the name, who you started it with, like how it sort of turned into... From a little seed into a big plant in Perth, which I think is a great place to have something like that. And there's
1: been many flowerings and uh, (coughs) leaves falling since then as well. I love that.
0: (laughs) You know, to make room for growth, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Awesome. That's a really cool story. I'm so excited to sort of grill you a little bit more about the experiential side of things and challenges that you face, Um, creating a brand and doing that, um, having that sort of growth experience in Perth. So. I moved to Perth and my first job was as a brand ambassador for a company called Evoke Media. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. So, where are you from? Um, So, I'm from South Africa, but I lived in Queensland last for 10 years and we moved over here. Yeah, I moved with my family and then got a job um, and that job was Evoke Media while I was studying. And that was awesome because, like, it was so easy because what I did was I drove the little smart cars with the signs on the back and then – next thing I knew I was like leader of the little convoy and you know not quite in the marketing team yet but it really gave me a first hands-on experience of you know experiential marketing and what you can bring to people in terms of experience when you're you're your clients got a certain goal or an aim for what they want to achieve and the audience is in a certain place. Or, you know, for example, if we drove around like stadiums or games or that sort of thing and they, we wanted them to see a certain message. Um, it was very much about like you did really well if you got out of the car and you were like, Hey guys, like, have you heard about this thing? Bye-bye. Like yeah. look, I was one of those gals who was yeah. like, do you want to take my flyer? But in a more <laughs> convincing way, hopefully, um, so that was my first experience with experiential marketing and I've kind of gone from there. I worked in another experiential, experiential marketing team and um, I liked what we did but I think one of the challenges there was uh, the ideas and where the ideas were coming from because it was very much for shopping centres. Um, a lot of the inspiration was coming from over East and international, which naturally, you know, that's the first place that we'd look if we're trying to do something that has had a great response. Um, How do you find running a team in that sort of space experiential, especially with COVID at the moment where experiencing things is very much shifting to like an online space? I still feel like there's a very clear necessity for in-person experience. We're never going to give that up. I don't think Anyone will be completely happy to be isolated and even meeting, you know, online digitally with mm. avatars. I don't think that's ever going to be a hundred percent a thing. Um, and I will, yeah, in the metaverse. Yeah, I'll eat my shorts if <laughs> I'm wrong. But um, yeah, how did you? How do you sort of face that challenge of the the, <laughs> the landscape that's not really favouring the in person um, experience?
1: Yeah, it's that's been the biggest challenge of my career. Mm. COVID. We have. We went from being uh, an agency that uh, was really sort of controlling our own direction and controlling what we wanted to do, bringing a lot of science to an understanding and evidence-based um, solutions to mm. what we were doing um, to suddenly overnight, I remember it very clearly, On uh, it was Friday the 13th of March.
0: Oh, how unlucky. I know,
1: when SCOMO announced... Um, said it was a 500-person limit for events. And we went from, well, being pumping to um, 95% of our business had gone within a week.
0: Um, Oh, my goodness. Yeah,
1: it was pretty harrowing. And at the time, we were sort of thinking, oh, you know, if we can ride out two or three months and, Mm. you know, this type of it, then we'll be okay. Yeah, It was a really weird experience because at the time I wasn't having many, you know, obviously I have a reasonable amount of client contact, but not on the day-to-day stuff. Mm. But I was getting phoned by senior clients one after the other just saying, just so you know, obviously we're cancelling. uh, Just so you know, we're cancelling.
0: Yeah, and you're like, ah!
1: Cancelling. And then you just did this whole, you know – phone call after phone call, Mm. and you're just like, yeah, of course we understand, but, Mm. you know, there's suddenly all your revenue stream is gone.
0: Dried up. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit, before you keep going on that topic, which is, you know, such a great one to delve into, can you give us or the listeners a bit of an example of what sort of uh, things that you work on so that we can understand the scale of what you do? It's not just like a shopping centre pop-up, although it can range from that. What what do you do? It's it's
1: a real range. I mean, essentially, if you're trying to understand the scale of it it ranges from anything from what you were talking about in terms of the evoke cars and mm-hmm. handing out flyers all the way up to things like we've done for the um, for RAC mm-hmm. which was the the RAC virtual reality helicopter which we built a helicopter put it on the back of a trailer uh, created a virtual reality film which helped people understand what it was like to be um, in an emergency yep. so that they understood the value of RAC sponsorship of the helicopter and that's been running now for 5 years mm. Um, and so that's probably the larger-scale activation that we've done, but it can range anywhere in between. So it's essentially things that you see in public spaces, uh, sponsorships. We do lots of stuff. Anything that you see that's branded at RSC Arena is Mm -hmm. probably something to do with us, Yeah. or um, lots of things at Optus Stadium. Um, And there is a lot of shopping centre pop-ups too, um, but generally um, what we... (laughs) Try to, or uh, almost desperate to avoid, is that feeling. You know, when you go to uh, a, a shopping mall, and you know, the sunglasses person tries mm. to put sunglasses mm. on you, or you try to get <laughs> spray you with perfume. Sprucing, yeah. Yeah. Like, the mm. whole, the whole, the whole thing with successful experiential marketing is that it's what we call it's self-selecting. So you create an experience that people want to choose to engage with. Yeah. So it's something that you see. Oh, that looks cool. I'll go into there, and it's a brand experience that not only communicates the ideals and objective and essence of that brand, but also is something that people actually feel like, yeah, that's what I want from that brand. So it becomes Mm. very much uh, a two-way conversation, very much an interaction. Um, And that's what uh, successful experiential marketing Mm. does as opposed to you know, trying to shove flies in people's hands yeah. and, and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the times have changed and it's definitely no longer about that, like just having a voice in the space. It's about having um, <clears throat> an innovative and fresh voice that is very engaging mm, and convincing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, did you want to talk a bit more about COVID as a challenge or would you like to sort of – we can also cover it afterwards – on the topic of um, – innovation and having, like, the I- the new ideas, the mm. ideas that are actually working with the audience.
1: Yeah, so um, based on that, I guess, for, in terms of innovation, one of the things that we came up with during COVID was what we called the post-pandemic playbook, mm. which a nice alliteration. Yeah. Um, but it was particularly interesting because we were thinking, like, how do – you know, what happens now? Yeah. And to your point in terms of that people are not going to – you know, we, we haven't lost that desire – for human connection. And, you know, everybody can feel it intuitively. There is, it's called, and uh, there are lots of papers on it, but experience debt. Mm -hmm. So whether it's uh, the experience you have face-to-face with... A friend, mm-hmm. you know, or a colleague, you know, the fact that you're not face to face, you actually sort of that bond that you have with them begins to deteriorate. Yeah, and that also happens when you're w- when you're with brands. So there's that mm-hmm. experience debt. So we knew that there there was going to be that desire to do it, but you you then also have to make sure that you interact in a safe way. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the post post pandemic p- playbook, um, mm-hmm. that's the gin mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the. Um, Yeah, we just developed some tools of like how people are going to gather, you know, no touch, uh, gathering self-guided experiences, using things like augmented reality. That Mm -hmm. was one of the first things that we, the first big project that we did actually for um, Lease at Lakeside Junedlup. Oh, cool. um, Was an augmented reality exhibition um, based on... Yeah, it was called Arcadia. It was, it was sort of like
0: Oh yeah. Actually, I heard of that because I've got a friend up there um yeah. and like we only visit on occasion. <laughs> um but she mentioned it when it was happening, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. It it was
1: it was it's I mean it's still I guess it's still a technology that's in its infancy to a certain extent. Mm. And you can sort of see there's a little you know it can be a bit clunky, but if you can make it um, I guess as seamless and um, efficient as possible, then you can you can create really um, engaging experiences. Yeah. So the whole idea behind Arcadia was, well, the insight was that people during the sort of height of COVID, people were feeling really nostalgic for. Pre-COVID times, yeah. so we came up with this idea, which was all around based around. Do you you know um, Stranger Things? Yes. Yes. So I forget the name of the mall, Starcourt Mall. Do you know the very end? Oh, so oh
0: I'm not up to the le- doing oh, sorry, the first spoiler season. I'm spoiler not, alert! Yeah, I was like, um, not heard that one. Uh, yeah.
1: So there's this mall. Spoiler away. Yeah. Yeah. There's this mall. Blah There's this mall in um, Stranger Things called Starcourt Mall, Starcourt Mall, which is. Um, 1990s aesthetic yeah. yeah really cool 1990s so cool. there's this aesthetic called Vaporwave which is all sort of yeah a bit Miami Vice-y a bit sort of late 80s early 90s yeah. and we created all these artworks um Wicked. that w- went throughout the, the mall and got people to come back to the and experience the centre in a way that was safe yeah because they could activate it on their phones it was them doing you know essentially it was completely self-guided it was awesome. socially distanced yeah And worked really well, and we were really proud of that. So that was an example of bringing that post-pandemic playbook to Mm -hmm. life. And since then, I mean, you know, as as I'm sure you're aware, the situation's constantly evolving, you know, generally, but particularly for us. Yeah. And we just, the the, the toughest thing is being able to, is having to react at a moment's notice. So Mm. things get cancelled all the time. But the great thing, I think, generally within society and the culture, is that people have become a bit more understanding.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, so clients are more understanding. They say, "Look, yeah, you know, shit happens. It's yep. like this is this is where we're at." Um, whereas you know, and I don't uh, whether it's because their bosses aren't shouting at them or whatever, but yeah, you know, yeah,
0: if they're the middleman, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. But so it's it's we feel like we feel pretty optimistic at the moment. Good. Um, the border. Opening, shutting, opening yeah. caused a bit of a <laughs> wobble. Yeah. But um, it looks like things are on the up at the moment. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's very apparent in, like, everything we do and, like, we work with you guys. So it's, it's really cool to be able to speak to you who's, you know, you're at the top and you're running – the business um but you're also on the ground and you're understanding the conversations that people are having it's not just a matter of oh you're locked into a contract or Mm. you know i'm trying to fend for my family kind of thing it's very much Mm. okay how can we help each other because we're all in the same boat
1: yeah some clients are better than others
0: yeah i'm sure Uh, and i've i I remember because when we went into lockdown that first really long lockdown i was um taking phone calls from clients when i was working agency side actually from home and i remember like uh you know, we would have those whips once a week on a Friday and usually they were really fun in the office. You'd get a few drinks out, like you celebrate the wins, talk about the losses and where we can improve, etc. And this time it was more like a one-on-one with the boss who was like, what's the damage? Right. Who have you managed to keep on? How much have you managed to keep them on for? How is this going to work? Um, who do I need to go and have conversations with? And it was half the clientele was like, oh, you know, so sorry we have to pull our whole contract yeah. or whatever it is. Yep. Um, and me being like, you know, having that hard conversation of like, well, we did have you locked into a contract and I totally understand it's unprecedented, but we also need to survive like, ah, how do we make this work? Uh, And then the other side where it was like, all right, we like real estate clients, for example, they're like, we really want to work. We've invested in this. Um, why don't we look at different like solutions? So that's when we looked into live videos, you Mm. know, uh, guiding people through the house or having some augmented reality, Mm. um, involved in the strategy and, It was very much reactive, like it wasn't as proactive as I think, you know, no one was able to be as proactive as they wanted to be, but it was very intense and everyone took it very personally. I remember being alone in that apartment where I was living with a housemate who'd gone to stay with her boyfriend and I was like by myself, I was like having these hard conversations all day. I was like, oh, that's, I'm pretty sure that's where I had my subscription for the uh, Good Pairs wine subscription and like, yeah, I'd lived down the road from a bottle shop. I was like... This is go. how I'm coping. Yeah. This well, is gonna be my next few weeks. The
1: first month of lockdown was definitely alcohol fueled.
0: Yeah, it was intense. But I feel like WA got around it and everyone was like, This is how we cope for now, it'll yeah. get better. We'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. Um, okay. So now that we've spoken about that huge challenge, in like taking a broader look at the challenge of experiential marketing yeah. in WA, um, I I suppose after all the conversations I've had with business owners, it's not um, incredibly hard to be innovative in Perth just because we have a really clear landscape. We've got really niche skills here but um, probably less resource than the eastern states and internationally. So new ideas are really like people notice them they're very, um, I suppose they're very easy to engage with because it's like, oh, did you see what Joondalup's doing? No mm. one else is doing that, for example. Um, how do you find the landscape in Perth and how are you managing to sort of evolve here um, at the pace that we are evolving in WA as opposed to in the UK? It's
1: interesting because um, in the UK we were very, you know, we sort of fell into experiential marketing. We never really set out to do it. Mm. You know, it was just – and then suddenly it just – you know, the the whole – bar club story yep. it was just suddenly it was just like oh this is what you're doing this now yeah like, and we were like great and uh, we were very much a small fish in a big pond and you know f- fell into working with big brands and then so you come came over here and it was a massive recalibration in terms mm. of really trying to understand what the landscape was it's completely yeah. different lots of people didn't you know this is two thousand and eleven, people didn't had never heard of experiential marketing and were yeah. calling it experimental marketing and
0: oh, right. stuff
1: like that. So it was a it was really interesting and brands I'd never heard of, like RAC and HBF and mm. Curtin and you were just like I don't really <laughs> get all this and, you know, they weren't interested in stadiums that you'd built for Xbox because they weren't interested in football and they weren't interested in right. you know, it just all that type of thing. And then I reckon it took about two or three years and some really good clients and some really good you know some ad agencies and 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 mentors and advisors who just sort of pointed me in the right direction and helped me learn about the difference and it is I think the key thing to understand here is um, certainly when you're a specialist agency doing something that isn't particularly huge Mm. here in terms of a category is not to try and get too big too quickly, yeah. uh, is to be measured and um, really try and understand the limit of the client's ambition, um, you know, and f- quite rightly, they're limited because of whatever mm. reason, but just, you know, not not trying to oversell something, not trying to undersell something. And I guess it's sort of, yeah, really understanding where things needed to be pitched. Yeah. And I think that uh, finally now I feel comfortable, you know, not pushing Mm. stuff too much and I think one of the actual the sort of hidden benefits of COVID is that although we've now got smaller and we sort of our model is based on you know a few key members of staff plus freelancers and um, Mm -hmm. casuals is that there's less pressure on us to do big projects Oh yeah, which means that we can be way more client focused and just you know come and have a meeting with a client and there's no real pressure I mean there's obviously some pressure but no huge pressure to get business in and so it just means like if you want to do a medium-sized project this is great or if you want to do a big project right or whatever but it helps you develop those client relationships whereas I think in cities like London and New York and Sydney there's always this there's always stuff going on Mm. you know there's always Mm. there's always something to chase yeah Um, um, and I'm not saying that that is true of the whole of Perth, necessarily, but specifically in the area that we're working in. That's what it feels like. Because, I, you know, there aren't many, if any, other specialist experiential agencies here. And there's, you know, uh, companies like Evoke, but that's Mm -hmm. more of a media owner. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think if there were a huge market for it, you'd have you know, a number of competing mm. agencies.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask this, one of my questions is in terms of competitors for you and how you're um, managing your business and surviving, you know, since COVID and all that, um, I was going to ask if you do find the competitor landscape quite a challenge um, or if you're able to sort of sit in your niche and just – because you're really good at what you guys do and you've got some great clients behind you. Um, what sort of – yeah, how do, you, how do you navigate that sort of challenge?
1: It's, um, I mean, it's been interesting throughout, you know, the last few years. I mean, I I think without wanting to blow our own trumpet, we sort of made the market here. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't, you know, there were a few brand experiences and not much going on. But we worked really hard. We developed a lot of clients and a lot of the bigger clients working with, you know, the RACs, the HPFs, etc., etc. And Mm -hmm. doing bigger projects with them. And I think... um, uh, certain, you know, ad agencies then saw that money could be made there, mm-hmm. and so then they then upskilled their capability yeah. quite rightly. But so yeah. that has that caused us to sort of, you know, that was a bumpy path to navigate to be able to uh, get through that. Mm-hmm. It meant that we won some clients, we lost other clients. Mm-hmm. um I think mm-hmm. since COVID, um, it appears to me that the um, you know our competitors have gone back to their core capabilities. Um, and less focusing on, on what we do because there isn't so much opportunity. Um, I imagine as it ramps up, it will, you know, competition will ramp yeah. up again. But I think my goal is to sort of say stay small to medium-sized specialists in what we do, mm-hmm. understanding how we can deliver the best results for our clients and not necessarily chasing the the dollar.
0: Yeah, yeah, not, not trying to be the top of the game without yeah. authenticity. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. 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 Okay, so... I think we've kind of nailed what a day in the life looks like for you. And in terms of things that are coming up for you guys, what are your plans? I know that you were just talking about, you know, if competitors start ramping up, you've got to be prepared for that. Um, we're assuming COVID's, you know, going to be a thing of the past for now, anytime soon, um, you know, whether or not we get what what's in Victoria at the moment, what's it, monkeypox or something? Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. And,
1: in, and in the UK, yeah.
0: Yeah, whatever it is, I feel like we're prepared for that somewhat <laughs> um, or in terms of we're prepared for working from home or yeah. in an isolated situation. Yeah. Um, what, what do you have, you know, in your mind for the future in terms of, like, su- like, success? What does that look like to you now?
1: I think for us, success as a business is a slow growth um, to sort of where we were a bit, where maybe a bit smaller than pre COVID mm-hmm. in terms of personnel, sort of some key specialists, you know, rea- people who are really good at their job um, rather than overstaffing things. Um, and that's sort of, I think, the model that the um, commercial landscape can afford us. Um, in terms of where experiential marketing is going, if that was part of your mm. question um I fu- stuff that we're really fascinated and uh, um by at the moment is things like the future of retail mm-hmm. for example, so if you're looking at things like retail is going to be transfer- it's transforming now yep. and it's going to be transforming faster and faster because of things like COVID. I'm sure you've seen uh, there was a McKinsey report that said something that that COVID had accelerated digitization by seven years or something yeah, like it's that?
0: From twenty twenty eight, Forbes. I read yeah, in Forbes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so we've been fast forwarded into the future by mm-hmm. by COVID um, in a in a retail landscape. And so things like if you look at Nike uh, with Nike Town and you look at um, the Apple store on MechaLand, you mm-hmm. know, the the makeup thing that yep. they had in Melbourne, it's like all these brands are now converting to experience stores. Mm-hmm which is really fascinating because experience is the currency. So that's obviously very interesting for us.
0: For me, if I were to look at like the future of retail, because that just brings back memories from when I was at uni and we would learn all about how humanity's marketplace was the beginning of retail, really how, you know, Mm. back then it was a place that we came to trade things. And um, not just that, it was to have human interaction, Mm. networking, and marketing was a part of that because you had to sell your stuff and trade your things in order to live. And it became a very social event, right? So anything that could get people to back to that, like, uh, what would you even call like ingrained instinct to Mm. be around people and to Mm. socialize um, and to meet each other's needs based on your skills and trade those two things mm. so you know i need bread i make bread cool we're, mm. we're a done deal let's have a chat so that's very very base level but i feel like now the challenge and the question was posed so many times from when i you know from my uni days 2017 all the way to now is like is is shopping center is a shopping center still going to be a thing that we're going to be oh i'm just popping out to the shops to the more whatever you know and that's yeah, there, a big question, right?
1: Absolutely. And there's a real people will need a reason to go. Why mm. would you go there? And this mm. is the, you know, and people they, you know, they were deserted, you know, you didn't need a reason to go when yeah. there was lockdown and you weren't allowed to go. Yeah. So, and uh, online shopping's a thing. Uh, yeah, and so that that's absolutely transformed society. So you need to have a reason to go. Hence the sort of um evolution of these experience Mm -hmm. stores um and i think that that's one of the things that i mean we talked to our shopping center clients and we talked to our retail clients about this like what are you going to do how is this going to happen so things like you know there's a there's a drive you know whether it's driven by data but you know personalization and and personalized experiences but experiences that you definitely can't have online Mm. And there's this rise of this term called fidgetal, which Ooh. I don't know if you're aware of. Nice. I think that may be a Forbes a Forbes term as well, cool. but P-H-Y-G-I-T-A-L, I think, figital. about the sort yeah. of mix of physical and digital. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, you know, we realised as, as a, an agency ages ago. I mean, it was just one of those things that's like, oh, we have to be on social and, mm. you know, with all our experiences. But it's now becoming, you know, things like, Augmented reality and artificial intelligence and stuff like that are all going to be coming into our everyday experiences. But the retailers are going to have to offer whether it's you know you know like Nike Town is Mm -hmm. you know basketball court or Mecca Land is you know a beauty makeover Mm -hmm. or the Apple Store is the ability to play with you know the toys. You have to offer something that they can't get at home, Um, and uh, you know I think you'll see that the malls are going to be transforming over the next 10 years retailers are going to be transforming um in order to get people to do stuff but mm-hmm. it will but to your point about the marketplace there is still that innate um intuitive need for people to connect and that's where we believe you know and i think everybody intuitively believes um the you know the need for face-to-face mm. interaction and it just doesn't feel you know it's like the rapport that we have now in mm. terms of having a face-to-face podcast is yes, way more so than yeah. doing it over zoom
0: completely i totally agree so yeah.
1: there everyone recognizes the need for human interaction it's just what what place does it have and what place does it have with relation to brands i mm. think is, is the key question yeah um that's so interesting yeah we we because th- One of the analogies that you just reminded me of that we often use about, um, you know, the power of experience is is how would you sell a pie? Mm -hmm. And it's like, do you know this one? No. It's just like, it's really simple and it's a bit trite, but it's like, how would you sell a pie? Would you draw a picture of it? Would you shout about it or would you give someone a taste of it? Yeah. And so the answer is obviously you'd give someone a taste taste of it. Yeah and the point is that that experience that they're going to have is so much more powerful than seeing a picture of it or hearing someone shout about it because ah. they can trust you know they trust they trust their own experience you trust yeah. your own experience more than anything else mm. you know more, more than an influencer or more than yeah more than seeing a picture of something or hearing somebody That's say great. something yeah. about it so if you can create experiences at scale that deliver you know that emotional connection that people want you Mm. know that brands essentially want their customers to have with them um then you have got an incredibly powerful tool Mm. and i think it's our job as experiential marketers to be able to bring that to life yeah for whatever client and for whatever um you know, products or services that yeah. they're trying to sell. And some clients it's a lot easier than others because if you're making a pie, it's a lot easier to yeah. to do than maybe selling health insurance or yeah, yeah, or whatever.
0: Yeah, have a taste of this illness and see yeah, how we exactly. cover you. No, thanks. Yeah. Oh, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good at that. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I feel like the – and that you can go on for days about, you know, then how reviews will feed into that in terms of, like, how people rate your experience and where they can rate the experience. Absolutely, and that sort of thing. yeah. So – Oh, that's so interesting. That it's there's so many ideas as well of what you can do in terms of like how to bring people into an experience. And I think the thing is like it's so funny because even like as a child or a student or whatever, the first thing that you sort of get excited about is like I don't know, like uni O day. Like oh, that yeah. store's got a whole bunch of free shit. Go yeah, exactly. go to that one, yeah. right? And then it's like it turns out to be like an insurance store or something. You're like I'm a I don't even know what I need insurance for. But, but later I've got on, a pencil in like, case, yeah. Hell yeah. And I've got a free pencil case that came with like, you know, a pen and I, I need pens. Like, I am yeah. I love this. So um, that sort of stays with you for a little while and it's a little bit of exposure and it's a little bit, you know, but it's also creating that relationship with that brand that is like, mm. they're willing to give me something to say, hey, look, you can trust us.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You
0: can trust this brand. And like the RAC helicopter, it's like, um, hey, you, you, you know, you might not be as invested in insurance or even the helicopter itself, but like, here's a. Here's an example of why we want to help people at the core mm. of our being. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's a bit more emotional. Yeah. And then you're getting something emotional in return for Absolutely, that.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And giving back to WA. Mm.
0: Yeah. So it's like a big sort of, yeah, it's a very... Like,
1: you know, bringing for the better to life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. we <laughs> Are we going to spruik our AC now? Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the questions there was like, how do you like to market yourselves as a business? But yeah. I feel like it's a bit... I
1: think w- one of the things that we do, which is interesting... Well, of course, anybody who's listening, if they're interested in doing experiential marketing, please get in touch with me, David at hectic dot com dot au. But uh, you're also on Facebook, uh, yeah, Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> you're on uh, all the channels. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, one of the, the the way we like to market ourselves is w- we try to. I mean, sometimes you can view it as a bit old school. I mean, we do things like LinkedIn. We do things like. Um, um, you know, just um, client marketing events and and stuff like that. But one of the key things that we've done over the last year and continuing to do is what we've rather snappily called uh, the getting hectic client experience.
0: You're all about those like catchy names. Yeah. Love um, that. <laughs> client says what it is
1: exactly. Um, but the purpose behind that really was just to stay close, as, as close as possible to our network of clients and really understand what their marketing challenges are, have been and will be over the last year and the, and the next year. So we're actually going through that process at the moment and we go around interviewing or chatting to all our clients over a coffee. Interviewing sounds a bit mm. grand. But really just understanding because I think that's the core of marketing is to really understand what your audience and what your client needs yep. um and just doing a bit of market research and just saying to them you know what have been your biggest challenges what have been your biggest opportunities over the last year are you optimistic about the the next year um do you have a need for brand experience and experiential marketing how do you view it and basically we we then um collate all that information Mm -hmm. and and then sort of feed it back and create a networking experience in a few months' time where everybody gets together, they share stories, share insights. We look at it through a brand experience lens, Um, come up with a few themes. Last year was all about um, connection, courage and consistency. Oh, cool. Yeah, so all about um, experience uh, as we've spoken about today um providing you know that emotional connection Mm. that other channels often can't Um, consistency about being in market and not going dark when you know things like covid hit and then um um, well and and encourage also just to to be in front of your client and do things when um you know that you might not feel necessarily comfortable Mm. about doing but basically understanding that you know for them how how that they can use experience to get close to their ultimate clients that's and perfect. Yeah. And we did some we did some really there were some really interesting stories <laughs> um that came out which um we can share. Like the you know, uh, Browns did their Milko mm-hmm. um mm. campaign, which was nothing to do with us, um but we would have loved to have come up with it. Mm. <laughs> but it was such a great solution to yeah. the problem what did that they f- do? The COVID, that COVID presented. They it was basically milk delivery. So essentially, you know, obviously the Milko, I don't know if you're aware of Milko. Mm mm. I wasn't either, but yeah. milko was the milk delivery that they used to have back in the day. Okay, and used to go door to door. Used yeah. to sign up for it, and your milk would be delivered every morning. And obviously, it's gone out of fashion. Yeah, and but then when people couldn't go to the shops, Browns were like, "Well, let's bring this back." And the the wonderful thing that they got to do with it was driving that emotional connection, but also things like you know, uh, D to C, direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, channel that they were establishing and also getting consumer insights, understanding yeah. who was buying what, when, you know, stuff that they couldn't necessarily get through um, from Woolies and, yeah. and stuff like that. So some really interesting stories that the um, brands can share and then, you know, obviously that then feeds into our know-how and then our ability to feed that back to our other
0: clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you hit on a good point there on connection because connection over conversion is the rule, right? Like you're mm. supposed to, in your... Anything as small as like your your copywriting, the mm. content you develop for all your channels, whether it's emails, website, social media, any of that should be about connection. So it should be in your brand voice. It should really, you know, resolve that problem, the issue that the audience is experiencing. And I think something like gathering data is going to be the next challenge for businesses who yeah. could easily sort of look at it um, as an opportunity to engage with the actual audience they're trying to sell their service or product to. Because- uh, it's no longer, a, you know, spray and pray method, throw the net and see what yeah. it catches. Um, it's no longer like, oh, social media is a thing. You have to be on social media. It's now about like, okay, we've all got social media. How do you curate your strategy to then capture the um, the most, like the, the best audience that are most engaged and in the most appropriate way that they're going to and at the not. right time? Yeah yeah and that's just not just about hitting the bottom of the funnel where they mm. purchase from you or engage with you. Yeah. It's about how do you then turn them into your ambassadors and mm. you know get loyal loyal customers for the future mm. so um yeah. I think connection's like the big one there, and that's obviously what you do and
1: um, that's the goal,
0: yeah, yeah, and I feel like that was a nice little wrap up of everything you do and everything that you're looking towards doing, you know now yeah. that there's covid has changed the land landscape quite massively so yeah. no i'm excited to see where you guys yeah. you know where you go
1: no, we're excited too we're yeah as i said we're we're really optimistic mm. about the next couple of years and and keen to see where yeah. it's going yeah yeah awesome. lots of clients coming back and have got exciting ideas which is
0: oh that's good yeah which is exciting i love it when yeah. someone comes to you with an idea it's like oh yeah yes. it's just
1: like we've got this challenge what can we do yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's
0: great. Yeah. Um, thanks for sharing a gin with me. No, thank that you. That was great. Yeah,
1: no, I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, it was fun. And Sorry I for ho-
1: slurring my words.
0: No, I don't think you did. <laughs> you were totally fine. I feel like it gets the excitement going. It does. Um, and, I'm, yeah, we'll have to catch up with you in the future and see how you go. But Great. Yeah, have a fabulous, um, I guess still week. I keep thinking it's Friday. Every day is Friday for me.
1: I know. It's crazy. Tuesday.
0: Tuesday. Oh, it's Tuesday. Ah. Gin on a Tuesday. Gin on a Tuesday.
1: Breaking the rules.
0: Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, David. I really appreciate it.
1: Pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Perth Business Podcast, where we love to talk a little bit of shit while discovering gems of knowledge from professionals and those just trying their darn best in Perth. Make sure you check out past episodes for trade secrets, tips and learn strategies in various different industries. If you rate, review and subscribe, it really helps the podcast grow and reach the earholes of many different business owners that could use the advice and insights from the learnings of our guests. If you, like our guests, are passionate about their community and open to sharing experiences, tips and ideas with other business owners, I look forward to connecting with you. You can reach out to me at theperthbusinesspodcast at gmail.com or slide into my DMs on LinkedIn, Instagram or Facebook. As always, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Perth Business Podcast. I look forward to connecting with you and collaborating with you in our business community in Perth.